0: This message is brought to you by This Excellent Church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. you are about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. chapter 2, we shall continue in our series. It has been a blessing so far. Praise God. So verse 1 says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Hallelujah. You know, this thing just never ceases to make me marvel. It never ceases to make me stand in awe of what the apostles did at this time. You know, they say he says, despite strong opposition, they did not cease to tell of his gospel. Despite strong opposition, they did not cease to tell of his gospel. Despite strong opposition, they did not cease to tell of his gospel. It is thought I think about a lot. It is something that I keep asking myself if I was. At that time, if I was at that age, would I would I have had the same courage to stand up and teach the gospel despite opposition? And there's something I noticed from meditating on this scripture. Apostle Paul tells us a couple of things about himself and about the way he was thinking that led them to be able to stand like that. I will take a look. Of, I will take a look at it and glean some messages from it. Verse three says, "For the appeal we make." Does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved of by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So Paul begins to give us an inkling into the state of his mind. And what the, the things that are in his mind that make him someone that can preach the gospel despite strong composition. He begins to give us an inkling into you know those the way he's thinking, his value system that makes him like that. Let's start again. If you read from verse one again, you see it's way it says it. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously. Says treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you His gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make—that is, the gospel we are preaching—we are, we are appealing to you to accept Christ—is is not does not spring from error or pure motives. Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So, yes, there are three things I noticed here that are Apostle Paul's state of mind that enables him to be someone that can stand and preach the gospel despite opposition. There are three things he mentions. Very interesting stuff. And these three things are lessons for us, right? You know, so that we can understand how these men were able to do what they did. If you understand the kind of mindset they had, it's not going to be difficult for us to also do what they did. It's going to be difficult for us to also preach the gospel despite strong opposition. Because I guarantee you, we have not seen strong opposition yet. We have not seen strong opposition yet. So even when we are shy or when we are feeling ashamed to preach the gospel and all that, see, we have not even started, actually, we have not started. And then he says three things. The first thing he says is that, for the appeal we make does not spring from error. There's a confidence that enables you to preach the gospel, even in strong opposition. There's a confidence that that you have that enables you to preach the gospel even when people are you have a lot of detractors and there's fear of persecution going on around you. But Paul tells us one of the things that gives him confidence. He says, for the gospel that we are preaching to you or the appeal that we are making to you was not based on an error. When you are not confident that what you are teaching is the correct thing, you will always be skeptical. You will be shy of preaching what you want to preach. When you are not confident that what you are preaching is not error. When you are confident that what you are preaching is not error. I I saw a video recently that shocked me. A social scientist said something. He said they studied human beings and they found out that if 10% of people in a society, just 10% of people in a society have strong convictions and the remaining 90%, don't have strong convictions. They, are, they may believe things, but their convictions are not strong. If that 10%, just that 10%, has strong convictions concerning a matter, in a very short time, the rest of the 90% will follow them. They found the they did study of human beings and all that. So they found out that, that actually, whenever you see society is going to go in a particular direction of beliefs they are usually always gravitating in the direction of the most convicted people. Every society, their belief system and their values and philosophies always goes in the direction of the people with the strongest convictions. I say, ah, this makes not make sense, Sha. So, and what our study showed was that the number is irrespective. The percentage is irrespective. It doesn't matter if it's 90% of the society. If just the very few people have strong convictions, that entire society will go in the direction of those people that have those strong convictions. So, that is the reason why when you are looking at the West and you are saying, what is wrong with them? The number of people that have all these LGBTQ issues, they are very small in their society. Yet, the whole society is going in that direction. Everybody is going in that direction. The whole media, are whole everything... Is going that direction. That's the reason why. That means that if you see a society like Nigeria where people are not going in the direction of the gospel, despite the fact that Christians are many, right? It means that the Christians in that society are not demonstrating conviction in the gospel. That's what this means. If you see a society where you have reached an equilibrium, children of darkness are in the dark and there's nothing moving them. Children of light are also in their light, nothing moving them. You know what it means? It means that children of light in that society don't have convictions. It means they're not shining their light. That's what it means wherever you are as a believer, if you truly have convictions, what should happen is that you should be like a graviton. You should be like a source of gravitational pull. People should be... You should, your presence should make it difficult for people to stay in the middle. When you show up in a place, people should either choose you or choose darkness. There should be no place for in between. So even in a society... eh? And there are a lot of lukewarm people around you and all that—it means you don't have convictions. That is the reason why we tell people. And I'm going to say, you no, know, that's why I mean, Wednesday services are for dragging people, are for talking freely. As I keep telling people, the solution to societal problems is not kingdom takeover. If you are living in a society where the where the gospel is not prevailing, huh? if you are living in a society where the gospel is not prevailing, the solution is not to make Christians the president of that country. Are you with me? The solution is not to make Christians the president of that country. The solution is for, even if there are only 10 Christians in that society, they should have strong convictions. If believers in a place have strong convictions, it's just a matter of time. They will pull everybody. That is why the history of the church has always been the way it is. That's why Christianity is the only religion that you will see in a spread all over the world, even though it was a Jewish religion initially. A religion that does not have political or cultural um, um, skewing or affiliations. It is among the whites, among the blacks, among the Asians, among everywhere. Do you know why? When people, Christians that have convictions, go up to a place, it's just a matter of time. That's why, despite the the strong opposition that the believers had at this time, they were still able to convert and conquer and, you know, make the entire Mediterranean, take the entire Mediterranean for Christ in less than 200 years. Society always flows in the direction of the strongest conviction. Conviction is palpable, conviction wins hearts. God will use your conviction to convict people. Do <laughs> you know what I just said that? God will use your conviction to convict people. A lot of people are not sure. They just want to know that you are sure. A lot of people are not sure, but they want to know that you are sure because there are a lot of nonsense philosophies out there. And so that's why Paul now says, what we are coming to preach to you is not error, say that's what Paul was saying. That's why I can die on this hill. That's why I can die on this matter. Because what I'm preaching to you is not a It's not something we cooked up. So listen to me. Hmm? One of the reasons why you are probably not able to communicate your faith with people around you is because maybe you are not sure that your faith is correct. Maybe you think you have believed an error. Right, So, it's not in this service now that I will correct that. But see, if there's anything worth believing in this world, it's Christianity. If there's anything worth believing. You know all these theoretical questions that people always ask? That, um, what if someone brings out one evidence today that shows that maybe Jesus did not die? Or what if someone comes and tells you today that can he, or can he come? There's something that happened between Jesus and the apostles. Jesus said some crazy things that normally supposed to drive people away. And everybody left him. Then Jesus turned to them and asked them, you people are not leaving. Do you know what Peter said to them? He said, where are we going? Who else has the words of life? Where are we going again? That is the matter of this Christianity. Someone said, if Christianity is not where else will I go? I'm sorry, with all due respect, you know. Is it Islam now? Is it atheism in this world? How? Do you understand? W- which one? Who will I dwell? Where, where do I want to go again? If there's anything worth believing, it is this gospel that has changed the world. Hallelujah. So he says, could you not preach from error, one? Number two, or from impure motives, nor were we trying to trick you. This is another thing that makes people that any small persecution or any small sign of, um, 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 what do call it, of, of, um, of um, what do call it contradiction, they will shrink back and not be able to preach the gospel. Here's another reason. When in your heart you have ulterior motives for the gospel you are preaching, Apostle Paul says something in Philippians. He says that they are preaching the gospel either for our bonds or... There's some of them are preaching gospel to add to our bonds and everything, but either for our bonds or our freedom as long as the gospel is being preached. And people say, people quote that scripture a lot to so mean that there are some people that are insincere that are preaching the gospel for different motives and some people are preaching the gospel for good motives. Everything is still the same. Now, everything is still the same in terms of the fact that the gospel is preached. Everything is not still the same for the minister. Do you know why? You see those people that are preaching for the wrong motives? hmm? They don't preach for long. The moment any small persecution comes, they will abandon it. Because, and this is one of the evidence that scholars will tell you is a strong evidence for the resurrection. Are you what I'm saying to you. This is one of the things that the scholars will tell you is one of the strongest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How does a person claim that a culture where people don't rise from the dead, you know people think that when they say Jesus rose from the dead, those people were primitive so they could have believed it because they did not know science. As shocking as it was for you now that someone rose from the dead is how shocking it was for them too. They are not stupid people they knew that people don't rise from the dead. All right? This is not a civilization that woke up yesterday. This is a civilization with thousands of years of complex history and politics and literature in the making. It's not one group of people that are idiots. They know as well as you... In fact, in their own time, they did not know there was CPR. They didn't know you could do electro so someone's heart can stop, and you could do shock for the person. They didn't know that you could put someone's body in a very low temperature and sustain them through a surgery even though they are functionally dead. They did not know those things. They did not know about coma. They knew that people don't come back from the dead. If anybody is likely to believe that someone came back from the dead, it's you today, not them. Now, these guys now woke up and said they saw someone come back from the dead and they are willing to die on it. They say, we are willing to die on this matter. We saw, we cannot lie. We know what we saw. Peter, we say, we know what we saw on the mountain. I saw Elijah and Moses. I cannot come and be lying to you. John said, the thing that I saw and handled is what I'm telling you. I cannot lie. You say, come enter a pot of oil. I cannot lie. It's what I saw. He said, You come, we'll crucify you upside down. He said, You will drag you through the streets and use horse to pull you in five, four directions. What I saw is what I... Scholars cannot find their way around it. Atheist, agnostic, they cannot. Jesus did rise again. That is why it matters. All is see. Let me tell you something. Hmm? Let me tell you something. Part of the reason why we're having uh, arguments over minors in the body of Christ, I've told you guys before, is because we are comfortable. Christianity is purest in its hustle form. Do you know why? The more comfortable and the more attractive it is, materially attractive it is to do ministry, the more likely you are to attract people that don't have convictions and people that have ulterior motives. Do you understand that? The more lucrative it is to be a pastor, the more lucrative it is to do ministry, the more likely it is to attract people that have ulterior motives or people that don't have convictions. This is another reason why kingdom takeover is a bad idea. It's a horrible idea. We've been there, we've done that. You make Christianity a political thing whereby Christians are in charge of resources and money and everything, you're not know going to do. You are just going to be inviting Antichrist into the church people that will come and say, I believe in Jesus, that are Satan. You will just find yourself having a pope that says, the fable of Christ are most profitable unto me. That's what you find. Paul says, I can preach to you despite opposition because I don't have any ulterior motives. I'm not trying to trick you. If you have ulterior motives, if your mind is not pure, that is when somebody will come and say, I will kill you if you preach the gospel, and you'll be like, ah, it's not worth it. Do you understand that? It won't be worth it. Imagine, you are in ministry because of money. Or you're in ministry for power. Or you're in ministry to get babes. That safety. <laughs> and then, someone now comes and say, if you continue preaching this thing, you will die. How much is babes? How much is money? How much is power? It, be it is the person that has life that will have time to be chasing money, isn't it? You know it's easy for it to free the gospel. But when you don't have any ulterior motives, you don't have any personal gain, that's when you can stand before someone that wants to kill you and say, I'm willing to die on this matter. That is the reason why I was telling you, like I started the message saying that you see all the things that you're seeing in our society today with Christianity and the world, it makes perfect sense. And that is the reason why we need to honor those that went ahead of us, that went into ministry when ministry meant that you will be poor, not you may be poor. When people like Pastor Jibba and Bishop were going into ministry, it was then they used to abuse people that want to marry pastors. And they would tell someone else to marry a pastor that you don't have life ambition. These guys entered that thing because they heard the calling and they were sure that's what they were meant to do, despite of their motives. You can say whatever you like about them. They did things that many of you are not willing to, you cannot do today. That is conviction. You know what I just said now. And so this is also the reason why these men preached the gospel. The gospel became mainstream in Nigeria. The gospel became less persecuted. Christians began to have more financial status and everything. And then, being a pastor now became more lucrative. Because being a pastor now became more lucrative. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry, from Odumeje to, you know, All now want to become what? Pastors. And because the more lucrative Christianity is, the less the convictions of the people doing ministry. You now have a lot of churches and a lot of people where people don't have strong convictions. what I just said now? That's what's happening. Ministry has become too lucrative for people that don't have convictions. The barrier for entry is too low. And these are the reasons why Christianity in the South and Christianity in the North are different. When you hear that someone is a pastor in Joss, it cannot be, I'm sorry, it cannot be the same with a pastor in Legos. I, don't, I, know, I know what I'm saying. When you hear someone is a pastor in Meduguri, eh? It is not the same. When they preach self, you will see the difference. You understand what I'm saying, Ami? You guys got what I'm saying. You will know. You guys can, you can list them as I'm talking now. Some names that You will know. There's a reason. And then you will now notice that as, you know, money and status is entering the mix, Okoto also will start what? Because there's something about the place of convictions and standing to preach the gospel. Being able to look at people without any motive of trying to make money from them, trying to gain status from yourself, trying to get power for yourself or trying to get the good things of life for yourself, then you are preaching the gospel for their sake. Hmm? you will notice that such people, when they are reading the Bible, they will just be saying the correct things. It's when you have an agenda that you'll be looking at the Bible and the Bible is saying one thing and you are now seeing something else. It's easy to take scriptures out of context when you have a plan. Do you understand that? Taking scriptures out of context is easy. It's when you've looked at people. Right? Right? And there's money to be made. You you are not thinking salvation of souls, strengthening of convictions. You know, people working the plan of God for their lives. That's not what you're thinking. You're thinking stuff. Can you not take over stuff, all these kind of things? That's when you'll be reading Galatians and you'll be seeing the promise of Abraham as money, not the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? It takes a particular kind of lack of conviction to see certain things. If I put you in Moduguri, where they tell you that Bukwaram can come tomorrow, when you are reading Galatians 3, I'm telling you, the promise of Abraham you will see will not be money. That's not what you will see. That's not what you will see. He says, that's why I can stand before position. I know that I'm not teaching error. I know that my motives are pure. And finally... For verse 4 announces, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Finally, the conviction of knowing that God sent you. That you are accountable to God. That God entrusted you with the gospel. is what makes people stand to preach the gospel and not be having a Christian life that is like this. When you know God has sent you, that the word is your mouth is from God, and you will give accounts. This particular one helped me in my life. This particular one, knowing that the word coming out of your mouth is not your own, but the word of God, and you will give account to God that God is the one that called you and has entrusted you with so precious a gospel, and you will give account for how you share this gospel. What it does for you is that you're in the place of work and people are talking and you're not shrinking back. You are seeing what you are seeing with a confidence. You are not afraid because you know that what you are saying is the word of God. Knowing that God called you. This conviction is what you see in many of our fathers. Conviction that God called me. Growing <laughs> up in Living Faith, you hear Bishop Ego say things like, Except God did not call me. <laughs> that statement. We were in church then. That statement was a hype statement. You know, things that are moving, things that are going in church is praying for you this week, this week, and all that. You just enter some kind of levels. Maybe Bishop will just vex. Except God did not call me. This thing will happen. Ah! Man just say, Except God. everybody will just shout, hmm, wait. Mm, 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 mm. Some people just start rolling. Some people leave. Some people just lift up holy hands. Everybody will just say, the thing that is coming after this statement, oh my, bam. <laughs> That's what you call conviction. The man is so sure that God called him. I don't know whatever vision he saw for 18 hours, but the man is very sure. The man is sure that God called him. You can, can call him deluded, or Well, he the man is sure that God called him. How sure are you that God called you? You think that God has to give you a translation for anything that God has called you? The day you got saved, he called you. And it depends on you to preach this gospel. He sent you from day one. Everyone that believes you have been called, whether you like it or not, and you will give accounts. So you are the one that does not know or you can pretend that you don't know. I'm telling you now. Just like Apostle Paul, just like the thing that drove Apostle Paul that was driving him. I'm telling you also now, God has called you to preach the gospel wherever you are. God has called you to share your faith with people around you. God has called you to share your faith with as many people as you come in contact with who are willing to hear and to listen. You know what I'm saying to you. And you will give accounts. Hallelujah. Then he now goes on. He says, Say, God tests our hearts. Hallelujah. God tests our hearts. Say, support preaching. See, if you like, preach the gospel to put Paul in bounds, you will see. People will be saved, but you, you'll be dealt with. Preach the gospel for funny motives. Don't worry. People will hear the gospel from you and be saved. But you, eh? Verse 5. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed? This thing has been happening since day one. It says, we did not use a mask to cover up greed. There are a lot of ministers that are very good at this. What is actually going on is that they are greedy people, but they are very psychologically intelligent and they know how to cover up their greed with The look of piety. You know, with the look of piety. So, you know, the way you see such people, the way you know such people is by their fruits and not by their eloquence. Do you hear me? The way you catch such people is by their fruits and not by their eloquence. There are some people that are very good at using the gospel or piety to cover up their greed. It doesn't matter how pious a person sounds. And these are the things, you know, when people demonstrate some form of piety, people think that it gives them the, you know, people listening to them will think that it gives them the credibility to do whatever it is they want to do. It doesn't matter how um, pious a man looks. Hmm? If a man tells you, to sow a seed to, in order to receive an anointing, it doesn't matter how pious he is, right? He's wrong. It doesn't matter how pious he sounds. It doesn't matter how the kind of analogies that he used to show how fervent he is or how consecrated, It doesn't matter. It, do, it really doesn't. It's by their fruits you know them. Not by their words, anybody can come and say stuff and say stuff that will make themselves look good. Anybody can come and say stuff to make themselves look good. How you know whether a man has been dealing in all honesty with the word of God, has been dealing properly with God's word, has not been dealing deceitfully with God's word, is by their fruits. So it doesn't matter what a man says, it doesn't matter how, man asks, doesn't matter how he postures he comes out of a man's mouth and says give me your money so that I can give you the things of the spirit do you know what Peter told someone that said that you will think Peter does not believe in grace you know what he told the person he said you and your money no good better for you he said you and your money will perish It doesn't matter. A lot of things that people do, there are some fruits that you used to know. When you see someone doing some things in ministry, conducting themselves in certain ways that is about giving themselves more influence over people, look at the kind of relationships they are making, it is by their fruits. You know them. Some people, using a mask, By their fruits you know them. Watch what people do. Watch what a minister does. That's the thing that you know. Sometimes someone might not even have tact and might be misyani because they don't know how to talk. Watch their fruits. He says we put on. The, we say we never use flattery. Not really put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from people not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our, our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. I think we talked a lot about um, apostolic um, privileges and honor. We talked about um, the book of Galatians. Let me not bother going to that because there's a lot more, a lot more to say from this chapter. Let's just move on. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much and we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of our God, but our lives as well. There's something I want to say that connects to the end. Let's just go on. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For, now, for you know that we dealt with each other as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of the Lord who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so there's something happening here. You see, Paul is using an example of his own proper conduct towards them. He's using himself as an example. And he keeps saying, how we conducted ourselves well, how we conduct, conducted ourselves well, talking about it, using his, himself and his conduct as an example for them. Hallelujah. You know, using himself as an example for them and keeps telling them and telling them and telling them. In Isaiah verse 13, And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human's word, but as it is actually, which is the word of God, which is indeed as work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, Became imitators of God's churches in Judea. Do you see that? You became imitators of God's churches in what? Judea. So, there's something interesting here. Paul is using himself as an example, right? Paul is using himself as an example for them. And you would ask yourself, is Paul virtue signaling here? That means, is Paul trying to show himself? as a good guy, as a, an upright apostle? Is he trying to hype his own self and all that and all that? And, you know, the question here is, what Apostle Paul did here, is it appropriate? How do you distinguish this from virtue signaling? How is this different from what the Pharisees did? How is it different? How is what, what Apostle Paul did here, talking about what he did right, what he did correctly, and all that, and all that. How is it different from what the Pharisees did? Does anybody have any idea? Share what do you think? How is it different from what the apostles did, from what the Pharisees did? What is the, how is it, uh, what what is the line between what Paul did and what the what the Pharisees did? Where a man talks about what he did right, when a man talks about what he did right, how do you differentiate it? Do you have an idea? Uh-huh. Okay. Exactly. Perfect. That is it. Paul was giving an example for them to follow. Paul was not talking about qualities that he himself does not practice. Rather, he was giving them examples of what he actually practices so that they can imitate him, so that he can be an example for them. Do you understand that? So, that is how it is not virtue signaling. A pastor, an apostle, a leader, an elder ought to lead by example for the people. And the example he's leading by is not the words of his mouth. It's not what he's saying. So, the Pharisees will talk about what is good, but never do what is good. Paul was talking about what he did that was good. Do you understand that? Pharisees talk about what is good, but never do what is good. Paul talks about what he did that was good in order to extol noble values for them to imitate. So, you're supposed to, ideally, you're supposed to do what they do. So, by the time you find a person that wants you to do as they say, not do as they do, that person is a hypocrite. Do you understand that? So when you sometimes elders will use themselves as examples of what they did, it's not them hyping themselves. Sometimes the pastor will say, "I did this, I did that, and all that," and you know it's not that they're hyping themselves. It is important that you see examples not in word, but in deed, of what you also ought to do, how you also ought to conduct yourself. Should I get that? Are you getting me? Should I get him? So Paul was not just merely virtue signaling. He wasn't merely merely virtue signaling; rather, rather he was giving them an example of what they can imitate. Praise God. So he now says, "For you, brothers and sisters, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people, the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove out and drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone. So can you see the kind of?" Um, enemy of the gospel we're talking about, we're talking about the days when there was no phone and there was no internet, and these enemies, these hostilities to the gospel, will be following them around. It's weird. So, this tendency for people to be seeking after people to persecute is not new. In fact, in these days, it, take the, it took a whole lot more lot more deliberateness. Imagine Paul that when he was still Saul, so, before he got born again, was someone that would go from Jerusalem, take letters, right? and be heading towards Samaria to go and persecute and kill people. They had a network of Jews in synagogues controlled from Jerusalem. And they were sending people all around the world to persecute people. Such that you will go to Jerusalem, and people will come and be saying, you are the guy that was preaching so-so-so-so thing in Galicia. you will follow you from Ga-, And they didn't have phone. They didn't have, they had only donkey and leg and ships hostile to everyone i see what paul now says he now says in their effort to keep us from speaking to the gentiles so that they may be saved in this way they always heap up their sins to the limits the wrath of god has come upon them at last come upon what the wrath of god has come upon what the wrath of god has come upon what is it human beings or animals or an inanimate thing? So uh, there's a book I'm reading and then I discovered something. There's a very, a Gnostic tendency, tendencies is part of the fruit of the whole Gnostic inclination. So let me tell you something, I'm sure that if I sit down and do a good thinking and spend some time I can count the number of heresies, Christian heresies, there are. And all those heresies do is that they keep coming and resurfacing, coming and resurfacing. They are very incompatible with the apostolic doctrine. Sometimes people might, like, might, might to hinge on some few scriptures taken out of context to bolster those doctrines, but those doctrines don't usually survive because of the weight of the entire context of the scriptures, and so they usually die, but they'll come back as a repackaged form. Now, the reason why they come back is not because... Of course, obviously, Satan is involved in all these things and all that, but from the human perspective, one of the reasons why it usually comes back is because there's an inclination and tendency to those doctrines because of our human nature. There are inclinations towards those doctrines. And so that's why people who have never read um, Origin or Irenaeus or read the Gnostic teachings in 2020 will read their bibles and find themselves having impulses towards those that slant. one of the things i found out about Gnostic um, the Gnostic heresy was that they believe that all human beings all created things are from God in fact they are part of God and so they come out of God by emanation and the way that they will be saved is that they will all go back to God and they'll be Apocatastasis and all those things. Now, one of the major parts which is now featuring in progressive Christianity and universalism and all those strains is the fact that under the Gnostic view, which you see in Marcionism, right, which came up in Marcionism, which came up in all those other doctrines, anything influenced by Gnosticism is that impulse that it keeps coming up. It's the impulse to see that. God does not judge people. The Gnostic version of it is people are from God, they are part of God, they are emanation from God. And that's why everybody will be saved because everybody will return back to their Creator. They don't see people as created entities separate from God. So because you are coming back, you are coming back to God, God does not really punish Himself. He cannot punish himself since we are created. So God does not have wrath. God does not judge. Rather, wrath just refers to a system of things which God is going to use to purify created things that will come back to him, all kinds of ideas. That tendency to want to forget that man, as a created entity, is separate from God and any union that man has with God is by reason of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And that man, by reason of the gift of agency, which is the image of God, can choose to stand in rebellion to God, and by choosing to stand, has you know, attracted the judgment for what he has done. That impulse, to not see it like that, is very strong. It's very strong. So, over time, you'll find that people will tend to want to go in that direction. But the apostolic doctrine is clear. The apostolic doctrine is clear. Now, where some people who are legalistically inclined, this thing is not meant to teach, We are still going to go to chapter 4 and 5. That's why we'll talk about this thing very But Let me just say some things. There's a legalistic tendency to want to anthropomorphize God and to think of God as a human being. And so when they see wrath, they will not interpret wrath based on the context of the scriptures and imagine that wrath is God saying, Aah! I will kill you. How dare you sin? And that's what they imagine because they imagine a man like Shongo or Joe who is angry. Church out together. But the truth is this this is how it is. When judgment comes, the way it will land on you, it will land on you like as if. God is angry with you, God is shouting at you. Do you understand? The way it will land on you, from your perspective, the way the judgment will come will be like as if God is in heaven shouting, ah! But God is not shouting ah! God does not shout ah! for anybody. God is not a man like you. God is not in meat. God is just giving you what pertains to you which you have brought on yourself. But when he lands on you, it will be like as if someone gave you a barack and your imagination will be that the person that gave you the barat was very angry. Do you understand that? So when a man receives the judgment of God, he calls it the wrath of God. That's why in that day, when they were Mount Sinai, they were hearing thunder and lightning. Do you know what was happening? It was the physical manifestation, you know, of the presence of God. God just, just, just showed up small. And it was thunder and lightning. Because if God should not show up, everything would disappear. But they were hearing thunder and lightning. And what they were hearing is... Maybe God is shouting and saying, oh, we'll kill all of you. I say, no, don't talk to us. Moses is going to talk to us. God is going to be shouting at you. Do you understand that? Do you get what I just said now? God's temperament is Jesus' temperament. The problem is that when it lands on you, it will land like what? Wrath. So man will say, the wrath of God. And in certain places, you will also be equalized with the judgment of God. So it's not as if God is emotional like a man. The wrath of God refers to God's judgment of people for committing sin, But this is where there's now another error. God judges people. The wrath of God is coming on them. Do you hear that? God judges people. Every man will receive according to the works of his hands. Don't get it twisted. If you reject God, you will pay for your sins. The thing that will land on you will be like as if God is shouting at you. Do I just said now? So, don't judge people and say, God does not have wrath. God has wrath. That's what they're describing. In that, God has judgment. At the same time, well, that's one side of it. Don't also think that God's wrath is that God is angry at people. In fact, God is tender, mercies, and loving. It's because of the way the judgment appears on them. Those same people, right, if they just receive mercy, pew, it's gone. Understand us. There's a very strong Gnostic tendency to make God like man. To break the separation between God and man to the point where God is functionally our meat. Must be aware of that tendency. together. Verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were offered by being separated from you for a short time in person and not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. Hallelujah. But Satan blocked our way. So you see what Satan blocked? It was the way. Right? So when a man is in Christ, a man is seated far above all principalities and powers. So the man is in a state where the man's being cannot be touched by Satan. However, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So that means the things in this world can be what? Manipulated by what? Satan. That's why there will always be time. There will always be the necessity of demonstrating and um, you know, of, of participating in or demonstrating, you know, or executing the believer's authority over the works of satan because even after you are saved, the things in this world, the way, your way, that means the things, the things around, the mundane things satan can be playing tricks with that thing imagine it's in Paul's day now, Paul wants to go and preach the gospel somewhere that's when satan will go and enter one man and whisper in his ear or maybe the man is not even saved and enter the man, and the man will come and block their way, lock the hotel room, or lock the door, they won't be able to come out. Then they will start praying. You start shouting, What is wrong this stupid man? Why will you do this? They want to drive out of the parking lot. And then that's when one man, one spirit just enter him. He will just come and park his car and block you. you say, what is the meaning of this nonsense? What's the meaning of this nonsense? Can you go? Can you call? You're going for a program, you want to preach the gospel to people. That's when one conductor, bus conductor, something just enter his head, they just do. Whoosh. You will now come and bash your car. On your way to a program to go and minister there's somebody there praying receiving satan standing in the way the guy would just you know that like film <sighs> bah your car that's what he meant satan will not be playing, be playing pranks be playing pranks be playing pranks you understand that and so this is where the believer's authority ought to be demonstrated this is where you begin to see some things. There are some coincidences that are not meant to be. Divine coincidences are what they call it um, divine leading. That's why I co- no co- always say there's no coincidence. There are some coincidences that when they are happening and they are leading you to the fulfillment of God's plan for your life, you know that this is not a co- divine coincidence. This is God's leading. At the same time, there are some coincidences that when they are happening, you know that this is satanic coincidence. This is satanic leading. <laughs> this one is satanic What? Coincidence, you know, you are meant to do something, plan of God for your life or something, and then that's when one funny thing after another will not be happening. One funny thing is when you know you have to, sp- you understand, you have to pray, you have to speak to Satan and cause it or cause the worker is doing, speak against it, order it out. You understand that. Paul will be preaching to a place and one guy called bad Jesus will now come. Do you know he was a demon? You can tell. you will now be talking and be saying rubbish, saying rubbish, saying rubbish. And being he be stop stopping what you are preaching, saying what you are preaching. You speak. He'll speak. Right? You speak. So, these are the places where the believer ought to take authority. There are some places where Satan is acting. Where you have the right to tell Satan to take it out. You don't see that thing it will just dissolve supernaturally do you understand that it's very important finally for what is our hope our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes is it not you indeed you are our glory and what joy this is the fruit of ministry this is the reward of ministry lives changed This is what you'll be remembered for. And this is what the goal for any ministry should be. Lives changed. Not numbers attained. Not amount of money made. Not amount of physical structures built. Not amount of times that... Presidents of the world have invited you to talk to them. Not the amount of times that your program was aired on CNN, on DSTV, on BBC. Not the number of times that the world praises you. Not the number of times that the world recognizes you. This is the crown, the joy, the hope, the glory of a minister. You, the people, lives changed. How many values, how many people's values have been reshaped? How many people's hearts that had arguments risen up against Christ were subdued by you? How many men were reconciled back to God? How many people who had all kinds of strongholds and stumbling blocks and arguments exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ? How many of such people have you delivered? How many men have you brought to Christ? That is the joy of a minister. That is the essence of a local church. That is the essence of a local church. This is the major KPI of your local church. Men, not money, not structures, not um, worldly recognition. You see, God has blessed us now. Uh, the president of social country gives to talk to me. That is not your crown. Can can enjoy yourself. That is not what God reward you for. Lives changed. Lives changed. Lives changed. It says you are our glory. So that means a pastor, or to a minister, ought to be deliberate to ensure that your values are in line with scriptural values. And one of the major values is that the temptation will come. You will hang out with other ministers. You will hang out with all kinds of people. You will go on social media. You will go out there and you will see people who have been praised. You will see ministers who have been honored based on all those other indicators apart from this. You ought to be deliberate to ensure that you don't allow your hearts be drawn away, you must insist that the way that you will check your progress as a minister is in how you are changing lives. You must insist that when you see church accounts and someone sends some money inside, that you don't see yourself rating yourself by the account balance of the church. You must insist that when people are sending you honorarium, Depending on the size and the number, you must insist that that thing will not influence your judgment of how you are pleasing the God of how you are pleasing God. You must insist that the, the thing that you will focus on, which you will pursue, as that which you will give account for, is the lives you have changed. Your messages, your teachings, your programs—everything you are doing—during as I'm, you can see the way I'm crazy. As I'm talking, I'm talking to, you, I'm talking to myself too. You must insist that everything you are doing is towards the end of getting men saved, strengthened, increase their conviction, reshape their values, reconcile. That's what the focus is. To hell with money. Money comes, fine, bless God will spend it and will use it for good stuff. Money does not come, his mouth dies in to preach the gospel. Let's continue. Hallelujah. So, travel together. Nobody recognizes you. Nobody's hyping you. Nobody sends your father. No problem. I send my father in heaven. Hallelujah. My father in heaven sends me. Hallelujah. You continue. Lives, values reshaped, men reconciled. Values reshaped, men reconciled. That is the focus. That's what you are driving at. Whatever we are doing, whatever materials you are putting out, is not to aggrandize yourself or to let people know that your church is going up or that you are getting more popular, you are getting more clout, you are getting more influence. What your mind is pushing at is values reshaped, men reconciled, back to God. That is your crown. That is your joy. That must be your joy. You make it your joy. If it is not your joy, you sanctify yourself till it becomes your joy. If because of the way you have been brought up, your mind looks at when they start inviting you to minister in America as the joy of ministry and as a sign of progress, you must reshape your own values as a pastor and kill that spirit. Kill it. You must insist Life's changed. That's our joy. That's our hope. That's our crown. That's our glory. That's what I will glory in. I will glory in life's changed. I will glory in life's changed. I will glory in life's changed. I will, glory changed. I will not glory in money. I will not glory in crowd. I will not glory in... Look, crowd can be a good thing with all of them, as you understand. But no crowd of people that all of them don't have conviction I just come to come and do social program so every Sunday. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Right. So Maybe I should to that example so it doesn't sound confusing. I will not glory in money. I will not glory in structures. I will not glory in fame and popularity. I will not glory in material worldly influence. I will not glory in all those things. I will glory in lives changed. Hallelujah. And God will help us in Jesus' name. Please bow down your hands and let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at this excellent church. God bless you.